Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, we have an interesting show tonight. I think a lot of people uh, should tune in and uh, listen to what we're doing. Uh, we're going to do a show tonight about the presidency and why we should vote. We're not going to, it may sound like we're being biased tonight, but we're not. Uh, tonight we're starting off with uh, Barack Obama. Then we'll do uh, the other candidates, uh, McCain and uh, Hillary. So we're, we're not being biased. We're, we are going to do some more shows like this one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think it was interesting that we started off with Barack Obama because we know that uh, McCain has already pretty much sewed up the the Republican side, and I think I read that Ron Paul, who is also running for president, is you know decide he's making his decision on whether he's going to drop out of the race. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, there's absolutely no way you can make up ground on somebody who's already virtually won it. Yeah, he's won all the delegates. Uh, you know, McCain has yes. And so, uh, but again, we're 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 starting with Barack Obama, and you know, why not? <laughs> you know, now some some folks will say, why didn't we start with Hillary? Ladies first, you know, and I understand that one. But I think the reason that uh, we decided Barack is that you know he's the intriguing candidate. He's the one that you know, in my opinion, we have to learn the most about. Because we kind of know about Hillary, we know what she does, and we know about yes. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would, we're going to go to a commercial. We'll be right back. We're having a little technical difficulties, but we will be right back after this. Put your roller skates on. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us, we're, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, and we're back. We were having some te- technical difficulties, but we're back right now. Brian, are you there? Yes, I am. Yes, you were saying before we uh, had the problems. But, Brian, real quick before you do that, uh, we have someone in the chat room that wanted to ask a question. Do you see it, Brian? Hold on, hold on. Let me see if I can get back in there. I'll read it. Uh, the question is, should women be allowed to vote or run for president of all things if they don't have to sign up for selective service. 
Wow. That's a, that, that's a good question. Now, see, I thought that if you wanted to go to college, you had to sign up for selective service, whether you were male or female. Hmm. Now, and I could be wrong. I just remember that I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have a choice. Right. You you have to sign up. All men, they have to sign up for that. Once you turn a certain age, you have to sign up for it. Wow, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting question. You want to try to tackle that one, Brian? You know, my thing is, in the land of uh, where we have equal opportunity, I think that it, you know, well, you know, my personal opinion is, and this may sound chauvinistic, but I don't personally believe that we should have women, you know, fighting, you know, next to our men. Our men are the protectors, you know, so that's just my personal belief. I believe that, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, you know, expect our women to go out there and fight battles, you know. But in that same light, if you so choose to do so, you know, then that's your preference. Like I said, these are my personal views. They're not the views of the sponsor of this show, which is ironically us. <laughs> so it kind of is, partially. You know, what do you think, Greg? I mean, my, my that's just my personal view, but I don't think they should be barred. I don't think they sh- that they shouldn't be allowed to so in that light yes if they if you know if they're going to sign up if you know if they want to be able to have the right to vote then sure why not let them sign up for selective service yeah i i, I don't have a problem with them uh going to to war to fight i think it's a it's a noble thing it's uh it's something that i think brian this is how i really feel about the men and the women issues i feel that any dream that any American or any person that's living in this country, whatever their dreams are, I think they should be free to go after those dreams. A lot of people, may that may be their dream to go into the military or go into uh, one of the services and fight for this country. I don't see why that why they shouldn't be allowed to do it. That's just my opinion. And I don't see it. I don't have a problem with a woman becoming president. Say again. I'm sorry, Greg. I said I don't have a problem with a woman becoming a president. Oh, neither do I. I mean, if like I said, if that's what you aspire to be, heck, my daughter says the one day she's going to be president, and I believe her. You know, and so I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Actually, I don't have a problem at all with it. You know. Now, my personal view on the presidency is that somebody's going to be president eventually. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. It's, <laughs> and Brian, let's 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 go to uh, the the economy. What uh, Barack is is saying about about the economy. I'm sure you you have that information right there in front of you. Yes. All right. Let's get back on uh, the person who we're focusing tonight and for, uh, focusing on tonight, and that's Barack Obama. And you can actually read all this information on www.barackobama.com, and it's under his issues. And the first issue that we're going to tackle is his his issue of the economy, and it says, plan to strengthen the economy. And these are Barack Obama's words, and I quote, I believe that America's free market has been the engine of America's great progress. It's called a pros- it's, it's created a prosperity that is the envy of the world. It's led to a standard of living unmatched in history, and it has provided great rewards to the innovators and risk-takers who have made America a beacon for science and technology and discovery. We are all in this together, from CEOs to shareholders, from financiers to factory workers. We all have a stake in each other's success because the more Americans prosper, the more America prospers. Hmm. And that was said by Barack Obama in New York City, New York, actually New York, New York, on September 17th of 2007. Now, does it, does it sound like he's saying that we're we're all equally in this together? We should be. We even though in the past we haven't been, but we should be. You know, I, I think what he's saying is that the time has come that it, to where we all have to do things together. We all have a piece in this part. You know, we have all have a part in this body. You're not the arm. You're the ear. But you need the ear to hear. You know. And the ear's going to do its part, the arm's going to do its part. I think what he's saying is we've been working like a disjointed body where we're not functioning right. 
And so we need to start functioning right so we can grow and we can prosper together. You know, because for so long we've had a couple people prosper and a couple people that aren't, pro- you know, and then a whole bunch of folks that aren't prospering. I think that's been the latest thing where you have these very few people who are making a lot of money and there's just been this huge disconnect between the haves and the have-nots. So his plan is to strengthen the economy by showing every person that's involved in growing the economy that you have an equal part in this partnership. And, and Brian, from what I've read, do you get that he's saying that he wants most of the work to stay in this country? Oh, I would agree. I would agree. Because, you know, more often than not, you have a lot of these companies that are moving overseas. They don't have to worry about the taxes. You know, and they're already getting, a lot of the companies are already getting tax breaks. But as it shifts and they're saying, we're going to take those tax breaks away because, you know, you're getting tax breaks and you're making billions of dollars. And the little man is barely making, you know, $20,000 a year and he's got to provide for a family. And that's not enough money to even buy a car, you know. And so I think that's what he's saying. You're shipping all these jobs overseas, taken away from Americans. We need to have these jobs being produced here in America. Yes. And it, it, from what I read from this, just when, what you just read, and I'm looking at it, it's like he's almost asking people to, you know, if you have a dream to own a business, come on. Come on with us. You could do this. You could do this. It's, it's, you know, on his side, it's all about change. And he said at the very beginning, I believe that America's free market, mm-hmm. that's for everybody. He's including everybody. He's not leaving anybody out. Right. He's not just talking to a certain class of people. And that's true. When America's money stays in this country, we all prosper. Mm-hmm. You know, Greg, I want to I highlight one of the things he talks about with, uh, and it's something that most people have never thought about and it's the predatory credit card practices. Everybody that has a credit card has been a victim of it, but nobody really knew who to go after. Nobody really knew, really knew what, you know, how do you go after the people who you borrowed money from and tell them that they can't raise your rate because someone else who you borrowed money from raised your rate. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, mean, I understand. I mean, I've had an instance where, I missed paying a credit card bill, not because I didn't have the money, but it's just because I forgot to pay it. And the next month, I had a triple, you know, my my payment, my uh, my interest rate tripled. It went from 4.9 to 12.9. I'm like, whoa, you know, or close to that. And I'm like, wait a minute, what are you doing? And then they said, well, you missed the payment. I said, well, I'll send in two. They said, no, it's too late. So I figured, okay, fine, I'll pay that one. And then the month after that, my other credit card went from 9.9 to 24.9. And I'm like, what are y'all doing? And they said, well, you missed a payment on your other card. And I'm like, but I didn't miss paying y'all. They said, yeah, but if you miss payment on them, you're a credit risk. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't a credit risk to them. They got paid. They just got paid late. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I'm having this argument with them over the phone. And the whole while, it was, it was all futile because, they still raised the rate to 24.9, and I just closed the card and moved the money over to another card, you know? Yes. But it was just that, who do you argue with? Who do you tell? Because the credit card companies are doing this, and it's not illegal. It may be immoral, but it's not illegal. Right. So I, so just reading that, you know, that's something that I would like to see happen. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like there's a thing on here, Brian, and he's talking about protecting the home ownership and he's talking about cracking down on mortgage fraud. That's something that a lot of times we don't we don't hear a lot about that. Mm-hmm. And that I mean, there's so much mortgage fraud going on. Oh I yes, like, I, like I mean, this. I know people, and I have people in my family who have been victims of it. Yes, you know, there was one mortgage fraud that was going on where someone would uh, rent a house from, let's say, you bought a, you live in uh, in Maine. And you have a house that you own in South Florida. You're renting it to someone in South Florida, right? Yes. Well, that person turns around and he rents it to someone else, right?
right? Right. You don't know this because all he's doing is sending you a, a check every month, right? Mm-hmm. So he rents it to another person and tells them that they can rent to own. It's his pl- property. And he has all the paperwork written up, and he's defrauded the owners because they have no clue what's going on. They're, they live too far out of town to, to just, you know, come around the corner and see what's going on. And as long as they're getting their check every month, they're pretty not, you know, pretty much not even paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Well, he sold the house. He stops paying the owners because now he's sold the house. Once he's free and clear and he's got the money in his hands, he stops paying the owners. The other, you know, the the unknown person that has done the rent to own thing has already gave him a boatload of money, plus have paid him for that mortgage that's now not good. The owners come down and say, "Wait a minute, hey, we came down because we're trying to figure out who's if the other guy's still in the house. Who are you?" And they say, "We're the new owners." And he says, "You couldn't be because he wasn't the old owner. Now the owners out, you know." Going after you, you're trying to find the guy. He's sitting somewhere, you know, because he's done this to 10, 15 other people. He's sitting somewhere on an island, you know, with a million dollars in his pocket. You know, and so the fact that that they're going to really work to crack down on mortgage fraud, you know, and then also the predatory lending practices is something that I would love to see them work on. Well, another thing that he's talking about with this mortgage, he's talking about creating a universal mortgage credit. Uh, He's talking about 10% universal mortgage credit to provide homeowners who do not itemize tax relief. This credit will provide an average of $500 to 10 million homeowners, the majority of whom earn less than $50,000 per year. Now, that would be good. Yes. I I think that would really be good. That would help a lot of... A lot of households, and, and and they'll give others the incentive to purchase a home. Right, because right now, I mean, there's I think Florida leads the nation in in foreclosures. Mm. Is it Florida or is it California? Okay. I know they're in the top five. Mm-hmm. You know the, the the, and it's just ridiculous. No, I think Florida led the nation in February of the number of home foreclosures. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's sad because you work so hard. This is where you live. This is where you're trying to make, you know, it's a house, but you're trying to make it a home. And because your interest rate, you know, wasn't that great to start and it was a adjustable rate because of the price of the home being too high and maybe you bought more house than you could have necessarily afford at the time with the hopes that, you know, your financial situation would swing upward and it has not. Now you're stuck, and the banks don't really want the house now <laughs> because they got enough of them because there's already tons of people who've been foreclosed on. So they're kind of like, well, we want you to keep the house, but we have no choice but to take it. But now we're just sitting on a piece of house, and nobody's buying them. You know, so something definitely has to be done. But, Greg, let's go to... All right, let's see. Where are we going to go next? Ethics. Well, ethics. I'm, I'm going to talk about the ethics. All right. Yeah, he, 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 he says there's a plan to change Washington. And these are his words on November 10, 2007. I am in this race to tell the corporate lobbyists that their days of setting the agenda in Washington are over. I've done more than any other candidate in this race to take on lobbyists and won. They have not funded my campaign, they will not run my White House, and they will not drown out the voices of the American people when I am president, Barack Obama, November 10, 2007. Wow. Now, that in itself, when you think about the fact that the lobbyists that are out there, they come from, you know, powerful government entities, a lot of big business there, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of money being thrown around. And so, you know, when you have these lobbyists that, you know, bring with them a lot of weight with, you know, with financial backing, with, you know, who they know and what they know, that's a very bold statement for anyone to say that, 
you know, I've done more any, than any other candidate in this race to take on lobbyists and won. You know, because the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to alienate the businesses that you hope to spur the economy with, but at the same time, you can't let them dictate, you know, your, the Oval Office. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I also think what he's saying, too, is he's going to keep the American people. He wants them to continue to have that voice. And that voice is, you know, it's been kind of quietened down. But he wants to bring it back. You know, and one of the things that I see, Greg, that's just been glaring for years and years, and so many people say they're going to work on this, but it is rare that you hear it from a presidential candidate and he be so bold about it, and that's supporting campaign finance reform. You hear them talk about it, you hear them talk about it, you hear them talk about it. But, you know, even on his site it says he's the only 2008 candidate to have sponsored the uh, Senator's fine goals, tough bill to reform the presidential public financing system. Mm. You know, and why is that? Because, you know, if if you don't really, if, if you don't believe it's broken, then you don't worry about fixing it. But if you know it's broken and your plan is to fix it, you know, if you have lobbyists who are paying your bills, or you have these these finances that are out there that are paying your bills, then you don't want to tick off the people who's pay, you know that's helping you pay your bills. That's true. Brian, did you see the part where he's saying that this is the problem uh, about the lobbyists writing national policies? He said, oh. for example, Vice President Dick Cheney's Energy Task Force of oil and gas lobbyists met secretly to develop national energy policy. He's talking about a lot of things secret, being secretly done uh, by those in office right now, and he's saying, I guess he's saying that he, he wants everything to be out in the open. He wants to be up front with the American people. Uh-huh. My question is, Brian, do you think the American people, <laughs> I know that's how it should be done. I know that it's a wonderful thing that he's talking about doing. Can you imagine American people really knowing what's going on, when things are happening? And I'm sure some things, are, you have to keep a lot of things secret, you know, the president, for the interest of this country. But I guess he's opening up things that are not top secret to let you know what kind of decisions are being made. He's given us an opportunity to see what he's doing and how he's doing it, and you can voice your opinion, and you can say whatever, because if, if he wanted to keep it a secret and just did it behind closed doors, you wouldn't know anything about it. But you know it's going to open up the mouths of the American people if something is not done right, and it will also open up the mouths of the people if things are done right. You know, Greg, I think what it does, and I'm reading uh, the thing here, and I love the, the way that he put it, Google for government. Wow. This is. Americans have the right to know how their tax dollars are spent, but that information has been hidden from public view for too long. That's why Barack Obama and Senator Tom Coburn, uh, Republican of Oklahoma, passed a law to create a Google-like search engine to allow people to approximately track federal grants, contracts, earmarks, and loans online. Wow. And, you know, it says that the Chicago Sun-Times wrote, it would enable the public to see where federal money goes and how it is spent. It's a brilliant idea. And I totally agree because, you know, I can recall them talking about the bridge to nowhere in Alaska where they spent $175 million on this bridge that, you know, basically went from one side of, you know, an island to another side of the island and nobody lived on the island. <laughs> you know, and to what, I mean, what that looks like to me is looked like somebody squirreling away some money, you know, I mean, think about all the money that was supposed to be spent on shoring up our bridges in America. And you have the bridge that, like the one that collapsed in Minnesota, I believe it was. And this money has not been spent. Or the money that was supposed to be spent to shore up the levees in New Orleans that had not been spent. You know, or the wasted money that they wasted on all the FEMA trailers. I mean, we're not going to talk about that because that in itself is just excessive waste of U.S. tax dollars. So to have some, to have a system where 
the normal American person can go out there and say, hey, wait a minute, i got a question about this. How come we're spending this much money? Now, again, that will create more accountability to make sure that we have a better you know, grasp of the money, but it will also create, and you know, this is always the, the downside, it will create infighting among folks that don't believe that that should be funded or don't believe that this should be funded. But the truth is it needs to be out there so people know what's going on. To hide it and say, well, we, we're not going to tell you because we don't want you to get mad, it's, not, it's just not good government. That's true. Brian, this is something that Barack said. I'm asking you to believe not just in my ability, ability to bring about real change in Washington. I'm asking you to believe in yours. When you see this man on television, the first thing that stands out is his voice. He's got a, a, a voice that just demands your attention. And the things that he's saying, everything that he's saying is about change. And I agree, it's, it's time for change. It's time for, for us to know what's really going on behind the closed doors. And Brian, he, he, he wants to, uh, there's a part in here where he says he wants to make all communication from the White House, we want to make it in public. Can you imagine that? Hmm. You know, and some people will say that that could possibly create a national security issue. But you have a press secretary already, so, you know, I mean, your press secretary will pretty much dictate what's being said anyway. You know, I mean, he's not going to go out there and say, hey, uh, Prez, you know, let's go and tell everybody where the next location of our military base is in in Iraq, you know. Right. Or this is our next military strike. We're going to tell that we're on our way there. You know what I mean? That's not going to happen. I think what he's trying to do is he wants the American people to know what's going on in the White House. Yes, yes. Brian, let's go to the – is another topic that I love about the – He's talking about family. Mm-hmm. He's talking about strengthening uh, our schools. And it's just amazing how uh, he, he's got this thing planned out. And uh, he, he's really, uh, he's just got it. It's, it's so well put together. He's trying to make college more affordable. And he's talking about reform and fund no child left behind. And there's just so many things, Brian, that we see going on in the schools right now. There's a big difference between the public and the private. Big difference. You see it, I see it. There's just a big difference. And uh, for a child to want to go to college right now, it, if you know, if they don't, if they, both of their parents aren't working and didn't save up for them to go to college, it's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible for them. You know, Greg, one of the things that I'm looking at that just glared out is this automatic workplace pension plan. And it says, and I'm going to read it, it says, currently 75 million working Americans, roughly a half the workforce, lack employer-based retirement plans. Even when workers are given the option of joining employer-based plans, many do not take the option, take up the option because it requires considerable work to research plans and investment portfolios and enroll in the plan. And I can attest to that because I was like, okay, I'm just going to circle and bubble because I don't understand most of this stuff and I ain't got time to look at it. Give me this, I'm done. So says Barack Obama's retirement security plan will automatically enroll workers in a workplace pension plan. Under this plan, employers who do not currently offer a retirement plan will be required to enroll their employees in a direct deposit IRA account that is compatible to existing direct deposit payroll systems. Employees may opt out by signing a written waiver. I mean, I hadn't even finished reading it, and I'm already liking the idea because it automatically causes you to save money. Yes. And you're not, and you're not just... When you retire, a lot of people that retire, they're not eligible for Social Security. Mm-hmm. And if they do try to get that Social Security early, there, there, there's a, uh, what is it called? It, there's a, 
um, they're being charged for it. Right. It's a penalty for doing it if you're not the correct age. And they're not going to get the right amount anyway. Right. And, you know, and, and see, everybody already, you know, anticipates that because Americans are living longer and, you know, most of them are living way longer, that the Social Security will be all dried up by 2030. Mm-hmm. So that's by the time you and I grad, uh, you and I uh, decide we're going to retire, Greg, and there won't be any money left. Wow. And so this idea of of almost... Well, not necessarily forcing you, but just having where it's an opt out, you know, where you can, where you have to opt out of it versus opting in, to automatically cause you to save something, even if it's, you know, twenty dollars a month, put something towards your future. Yes. You know, because people right now they live too much for the right now, and I'm going to get mine now. I'm not going to save for the future, and then when you get to the future, you know. You're 65, you're 75, and you don't have that money there, and you got to go and, you know, work at Walmart. You know, not down in Walmart now. I'm just saying, you know. But you got to go and you got, you know, when you should be in your golden years and retiring and playing with your grand and great grands, you're at work, trying to make ends meet because maybe your prescription drugs cost so much. And that's another thing that he uh, he talks about and he lauds in his uh, family's plan. He wants to help American families stay healthy. And he's talking about the universal health care and lowering health costs. Now, there are a lot of people who don't have health care. Yes. You know, I can remember, you know, as a youth, my parents had health care. We had health care. You know, did we go to the doctor on a regular basis? Not really, because it was too expensive. You know, it was a lot of us. (laughs) Right. You know, but... Nowadays, I mean, it's just the prices are just crazy. The, the health insurance right now on a family of a person that's retired from the state of Florida, it's almost a thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. As long as they're working, I think it's a little over two hundred dollars, maybe close to three hundred. Mm-hmm. How can you charge a retiree, a retired person? Almost a thousand dollars a month, and that's, the, eating and that's, a, that's eating up everything that they have coming in, and exactly. that's why you see them, Brian, working in other places. And when you talk to them, that's the first thing that they say. I, I was glad I retired. I was in the drop program, and I got a lump sum of money, but that money didn't last long because my insurance ate it up monthly. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's, and you know, and it's sad because this is this is what we hear. It's this is more often the rule rather than the exception that people that are retired are having to go back to work just because they can't pay their insurance, yes, or because their medication is costing them, you know, five six hundred dollars a month, and they have to have that insurance. Yeah, they have to have the insurance have to have it. You know, just so that their medication isn't more. So, and another thing too, Brian, they're having to make a decision: should I eat, or should I pay for my medication? Oh yeah. You know, we call it. You know, down south we used to call it the cat food syndrome. Wow. Where they would buy cat food, and eat that, just so they'd have enough money to pay their bills. And and I remember when I was young, we used to. I used to work at a grocery store, and we used to watch the old women come in and buy tons of cat food. So we had so our store's policy was that you could not buy more than five cans of cat food in a day because you would have the the old ladies would come in and buy that cat food, and they would just put a little bit of they'd get some crackers and and eat it. And I'm thinking, are you serious? But this is what was occurring. And most of them lived in there, you know, they had enough money to pay for a condo on the beach. Back then it wasn't that expensive. Now they've probably been outpriced, you know. But they would have their condos that they lived in on the beach, 
you know, or they live in the uh, there are a lot there were tons of convalescent homes, you know, old folks homes is what we call them. Yeah, we but, uh, yeah we really need to do something to get the prices of the medicine down. Oh, it I would is, agree. It is absolutely amazing. You know, and here's the thing, Greg. Not to get too far off the subject, but when you look at the drug companies, they say, "Well, we spend billions of dollars investing on research and development for these drugs, but they don't never they never talk about the billions of billions of dollars that they make once they start to sell the drug." And then the other part of it is the side effects that these drugs have where you have to actually take more drugs to calm some of the side effects down. And so it's almost like once you get on the medication, you're never going to get off medication. Mm. You know, so it's almost like a catch-22. You know, you need the medication because you don't feel good, but then the medication makes you feel bad, so you got to take more. <laughs> yes, and these are all the reasons why you should vote. Absolutely. And there's more. There's a lot more. Right? College kids coming out of work right now, you have people now retiring 35, 40 years on the job. That's not happening in the future. Mm. It's not designed that. The system is not set up for that. That's just not going to happen unless you're the CEO of that company. Right. Unless you are the son son or daughter of the owner of that company. Because that's just not happening. The way things are happening right now, Things are being, uh, jobs are being switched and sent out of this country so fast. Things are drying up. And this is America. Land of the free, home of the brave. And we have to remember that we, as registered voters, people out there who are registered, you have the power to dictate. Washington. It's not the lobbyists. It's not the special interest groups. Not all those folks that, you know, have the big money. It's you. Your power is in your vote. And, Brian, a lot of people say, my voice is never heard. That's not true. Oh, they they hear you when you come together. They hear They hear all those voices. All those voices mean a vote. Mm-hmm. All those voices mean a vote. So when you come together and you voice, that that loud voice that you have, things will start changing. Now, no one can say that they'll be wrong to say, you know, we don't need to change anything. Everything is going great. Look at what's going on. It's time for a change, Brian. Absolutely. And I think it's happening. I think it's going to happen, and I think it's going to be a glorious time. Oh, yeah. You know, Greg, the thing about it, when I was talking to somebody, uh, I can't remember exactly who it was, but their their question was, well, we know we're going to have a new president, and we know that president's not going to be exactly like the last president, but do we really want, you know, an African-American as a president? Do we really want woman as a president, do we want to really want someone who's as old as John McCain is as president? You know, it's like, it's almost like people that are out there aren't really sure what they want or who they want as president because of what they've had so far. And it, I think the war has left a bitter taste in some folks' mouths. You know, the issue with tax reform, you know, the issues with wiretapping, Patriot Act, terrorism, you know, we've been, in the past eight years, we've had to endure so much. And I think it's it's just time that people are looking for a fresh start. But, you know, Greg, let's talk about folks who don't necessarily have that, the the opportunities that that others have. Let's talk about Obama's plan for Americans with disabilities. And I, I, I don't like to say the word disabilities. I like to say, you know, that they have altered abilities. Yes. It's not a disability because it's not that they can't it's not that they can't do something, it's just that they have to do it differently. You know. Well let's talk about Barack Obama's plan. He says 
Barack Obama's plan, Obama's comprehensive agenda to empower individuals with disabilities fits in with the campaign's overarching message of equalizing opportunities for all Americans. It says, in addition to reclaiming America's global leadership on this issue by becoming a signatory to and having the UN having the Senate ratify the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, the plan has four parts designed to provide lifelong supports and resources to Americans with disabilities. They are as follows. First, provide Americans with disabilities with the educational opportunities they need to succeed. Second, end discrimination and promote equal opportunity. Third, increase their employment rate of workers with disabilities. And fourth, support independent community-based living for Americans with disabilities. Now, before I ask you about what you think about that, Greg, I just want to talk about something that uh, that happened here in Florida, and I remember listening to a, radio, a local radio show, and a guy called in, and he said that his son was, uh, was mentally disabled, and uh, I think he was suffering from cerebral palsy. And the state at one time was taking care of him but they said that he wasn't severely disabled enough for them to continue to support, and they cut his support off. Wow. But the, the, but the child could not do anything for himself. But because he had gotten to a certain age, the state told him, if you want to continue to take care of him at home, you're going to have to do it on your own dime. And, you know, the the gentleman argued, he said, but there are several adults that weren't as severely disabled as as his son that had other physical disailments, you know, physical mental disailments that weren't as severe that were still getting their benefits. Right. But because of the particular condition that his son had, they said, well, he's not severe enough. Even though he can't walk, he can't talk, His we monitored him, and his severity wasn't, to the extent he says, now you can have your insurance company pay for that, and the guy says, "Well, I'm self-employed," <laughs> and he said, "Well, we're sorry, your insurance—you're going to have to pay your insurance." And he says, "Well, if I could pay my insurance, I wouldn't come to you for the money, you know. Right? It's an extra thirty thousand dollars a year for him to take care of his son." And they were telling him, "You know, have the insurance company put him in a group home." Wow. And he was like, well, I don't want to put my son in a group home. I want to take care of him myself. You know, and so I think this is something that, that uh, this is a plan that I like because it ends the discrimination and it also promotes equal opportunity. You know, I've heard uh, a lot of folks talk about children that have had parents who were drug abusers that, you know, if the, if they find out, and I think this was one of the, qualifications in order for you to get disability. If your parent or if you're like your mother or your father was ever known to be a drug user, then you you would be disqualified. Right. You know, even though you may still have that problem, physical or mental, you know, what have you, but you would be disqualified from receiving benefits. And I'm thinking, well, isn't this person still, you know, it's it's almost like you've been victimized twice. You know, and so I, and I think that's a discriminatory thing because you know, the child didn't ask to be a crack baby, or you know, didn't ask to be a heroin baby. And so, how can you tell that child now that oh, even though you didn't ask to come in this world, you didn't ask to be born, you know, on drugs, you know, but we're not going to help you. Yes, that's tough. It sounds like Obama has a heart for the American people. Hmm. And you can, if you go through all of his speeches, if you go through everything that you've heard on television, people talking about him, one thing, there's one thing that you know about this man. He has a heart for the American people. I'm not saying the other candidates don't, but he is just stand out. It's just it just stands out every time he opens his mouth. He's talking about families and bringing families closer together. He's talking about the disabilities that you're talking about right now and trying to help people have a future. 
And, Brian, that's something right now that we definitely need that type of change. We need that right now. People need that hope. They need something to hold on to, and that's why I believe the votes are going the way that they are, because they want that change. Would you agree? Oh, I definitely agree. Definitely agree. You know, Greg, there's just so much that he's talked about, and I think just talking about the issue of have, uh, providing educational opportunities for disabled folks or differently abled people, I think that we can definitely segue into his views on education. And on it says, uh, I don't want to send another generation of American children to failing schools. I don't want that future for my daughters. I I don't want that future for your sons. I do not want that future for America. And he said this at the Jefferson Jackson Diner. Dinner, I'm sorry. In Des Moines, Iowa on November 10th, 2007. And, you know, I think when you look at what's happened with the, you know, and he talks about the problem of the No Child Left Behind Act and the money that was left behind. The problem that that he talks about and that I see with the No Child Left Behind Act is that it's almost like a catch-22. You have to do well enough in order to get money to do well enough. Right. You know, and if you're not doing well, you have, you know, and even with that, let's say you have a significant turnaround and you do better. Well, you have to meet a certain percentage of learning gains, otherwise you still fail. So even though you've turned the school around and you've made it into a promising school, it still fails because you haven't turned it around enough for the governmental standards. You know, okay, it says you need to turn around 50 kids, you turn around 49, you don't get any credit for the 49, you just fail. (laughs) Right. You know, and so these... These schools are losing the quality teachers because the quality teachers want to be paid. You know, if I'm a good teacher and I and I'm, I want to go to a school that I know is going to be good for me. You know, and I know, and also consequently, if I go to a school that's a failing school, I want to know that somebody is working towards doing better for this school so that it's not failing anymore. If I'm going to help you build a failing school into a promising school, you know, then I want to be just compensated. I don't want to be paid less than the teacher that's at the grade school. You see, and that's the problem with the program. You know, personally, I think they should pour more money into the failing schools and not penalize them because they're failing schools. Right, right, right. I agree. I agree with that. You're talking about <laughs> discrimination. That, that's that's definitely what that is there. So, Brian, I want to talk about the the issues on, I don't know if anybody wants to hear this one or not, but on on Iraq. He wants to bring the troops home at some point. You know, Greg, that's that in itself is a really touchy subject because a lot of people have a lot of different views on Iraq. We shouldn't have been there. We should have been there. If we didn't go there, it was kind of a hotbed for terrorism. Because we're there, it's a hotbed for terrorism. You know, if we don't go there, the oil prices are going to go high. But because we're there, the whole oil prices have gone high. So, you know, it's like it, it, it's a real tough topic to try to tackle. You, you know, know, it's I almost heard, I, like, it's like it's the 400-pound gorilla. I heard <laughs> McCain say in his, his speech the other night when he wrapped up and he won the Republican primary, he said that, he wanted to get rid of her, um, Hussein's people. Hussein's dead. What about bin Laden? Why aren't you going after him? I haven't heard anyone say anything about him. Everybody was talking about Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein is gone. Mm-hmm. Why not bin Laden? Why not Obama? Um, bin Laden? Why, why not go after him? You know, Greg, I think, and this is my personal view on on that issue in Iraq, if the plan was to go in and get Saddam Hussein out of power, we've done that. Why are we still there? 
Now the plan is we have to stop terrorism in this country. Well, we already know that if the plan is to stop something that's been going on for well over, you know, a couple hundred millennia, <laughs> you know, I mean, you've always had, you know, people who terrorize folks. And so if you think you're going to just go in with troops and stop them, well, they've already showed they don't fear the troops. They're willing to die for what they believe in, just like we're willing to die to protect what we believe in. You know, and people keep saying, well, we're over there so they don't come over here. Well, if we have all of our people over there, what's stopping them from coming over here when we're thin over here? Hmm. You know, and still nobody has found the WMDs, you know, and now it's changed from looking for weapons of mass destruction to looking for terrorists. And so the whole voice has changed because if still, you know, they have yet to find the weapons of mass destruction. And so now they've become weapons of mass distraction. Hmm. It's a, it's a touchy thing. It's a touchy thing. And, I mean, when you're talking about Osama, you're talking about Saddam Hussein, it's it's really, it's a... It's a it's a it's a touchy thing. It's a touchy subject, and I I, I really believe that um, we're gonna we're, we're I, you know what Brian we're gonna come together as Americans like we always do, and we always come together. I think at some point we're gonna reach this great idea of how we're gonna do this great thing. Now, how are we gonna do it, and if when we're gonna do it, I don't. I do you have an idea of when you think? Uh, we'll bring our troops out of there, or will we ever bring them out? Because we haven't brought the troops in from Germany. <laughs> They're still there. You know, Greg, I was going to say that I don't think we will ever completely leave Iraq. I don't think so either. I, I think it will be a bloodbath if we pull out of there. I think the day that we say we're leaving, all the other countries who have been waiting to get in there and stake some type of claim on it, like Iran and Syria and, you know, some of those other countries, they will jump all over the opportunity to step right in and say, hey, we'll take your place over there. It'll be a bloodbath. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it would be a bloodbath. I think partially because you'll go, you know, the different warring factions over there and the tribes will go back to trying to to take what they believe is is still theirs or ours or whatever, you know, and they won't play nice with each other. I'll just say it like that. No, they they definitely won't do that. You know, and, and part of that is because the only reason they're playing nice now is because, you know, America's over here, and we can't go in here and, and, and cut up too tough because then they'll lump us in the boat with the other terrorists. Hmm. You know which they have done. They have they have had some of the folks over there. You know that they've labeled as part of the terrorists. Mm -hmm. You know some of the ones that have these very differing views on what should be done in Iraq and who should still be there. You know they've lumped them in with the terrorists, and they're saying, "Well, hey, you know we can't we can't make too much noise because America's still here." Yes. Brian, I'm I'm really interested in uh, what Obama says about faith, uh, reconciling faith and politics. Woo, now that's going to be, I, I want to see that happen. Tricky at best. I definitely want to see that. <laughs> that's something that you, you just can't talk about that with faith and politics. That's almost a fist fight off of the bat <laughs> mm -hmm. in a lot of places, especially if you don't agree. And I think what happens, Brian, is when we talking and voicing our opinions about faith and politics, we try to force those issues onto someone else. We try to be right and prove that the other person is wrong, and that's not always the case. If a person don't agree, then they just don't agree, and you, you move on. But I don't think uh, the, the workplace is is you know designed for that. I think we can at some point get back to that, and I would love to see Faith in politics, being able, you know, us being able to discuss these things in, in a, I guess, an adult manner. What do you think? 
Well, you know, I, I think when when you start talking about someone's personal belief, you know, and you and you try to incorporate that into a political what, and I don't want to call it a political agenda, but basically a political agenda. <laughs> you know, for lack of a better word, I'll just use that one. Right. When when you try to tie those two in, it becomes increasingly difficult because now you're you're treading upon something that's not evidenced by you know because faith is you know the substance of things not seen and the evidence of things yet hoped for you know and so it's not something that's purely touchable it's something that it's a belief system mm-hmm. you know you're believing in it and so to have that belief system touched on you know because some people don't have they their belief is that there is no you know religion there is no faith and you know what Brian he said something here that's that's just amazing he he's talking about faith in the global battle against aids mhm you deal with that all the time Brian oh yeah yeah i mean that's that's something that i that i talk on so much and you know, it is definitely a battle. And, Greg, you you know, yes. when I go and I talk at a church, the first thing that they ask me, are, are we going to talk about sex? Because yep. we can't talk about sex in here. And I said, well, that's like asking me, are we going to talk about oil changes and not talk about the car? <laughs> yes. You know? So you have to incorporate that. And see, most people believe that AIDS is God's wrath on people because of their hedonistic attitudes and mindsets and their voyeuristic lifestyles and their alternative lifestyles and their sexual preferences that are against what the Word says. And, you know, that may be true, you know. But I like what Obama says on faith. He says God is constantly present in our lives. And this presence is a source of is a source of hope. Mm. It says hope in the face of difficulty, hope in the face of uncertainty, the audacity of hope. In the end, that is God's greatest gift to us, the bedrock of this nation, a belief in things not seen, a belief that there are better days ahead. That's hope. That's change. He's talking about change. He's talking about coming out of this, this, this thing that we're in, and there's a hope right now for everybody's future. Yes, and you know, and one of the other things he says, he says, faith should not be used as a wedge to divide. Wow. You know, and and this is an excerpt from his book, The Audacity of Hope. It says, we think of faith as a source of comfort and understanding, but find our expressions of faith sowing division. We believe ourselves to be a tolerant people, even even as racial, religious, and cultural tensions roar the landscape. And instead of resolving these tensions or mediating these conflicts, our politics fans them, exploits them. And drives us further apart. Wow. Brian, I want to say that we have about a minute left, and I want everybody to join us Monday. Uh, we have we have Coco on from SWV, the singer. And on Wednesday we're going to have Gloria Loring. She's going to be on with us. Um, that's Robin Thicke's uh, mom. She's an actress and a singer as well. Mm-hmm. But, Brian, uh, to get back to the show, what do you think needs to happen for Obama to win it out? I think he needs to just stick to his guns, be consistent. You know, if if, if it's something he said 10 years ago, and, you know, keep saying it. You know, I think he just has to continue to be a consensus builder. And like he said, don't divide anymore. Just continue to build on the strengths that America has, that is the hope for America. 
Yes, Brian, we're having some technical difficulties, but thank you again for listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to be more, do more, and have more, and I'm sure we accomplished that tonight, Brian. Everybody, God bless. Good night.